Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. What's up, C3 LA? It's so good to have you in church today. I want to say a huge hello to everybody watching online as well. We love you. Y'all are amazing. So good to have you tuning in with us. Come on, let's say hey to them. And y'all may be seated, and we're going to dive into the Word today, and we'll worship uh, a bit more at the end and spend some time in prayer. So good to see this gathering is growing and increasing, and uh, it's just awesome that we can do this and come back together um, and do what we're supposed to do, which is to not neglect the assembling together of the saints. Amen? We're in a series right now called Keeping the Main Thing the Main Thing. And uh, it's a 12-week journey through the book of First Corinthians. Um, we're three weeks into it. We're going a chapter at a time, looking at a, one particular passage uh, in each chapter. And the uh, first couple of weeks have been really, really powerful. Heard that uh, Joe Pringle did an absolutely outstanding job last Sunday, as he always does. And uh, just so grateful for him and Christine and their leadership here in the South Bay. Come on, do you guys love Joe and Christine? Your location pastors are awesome. Really, really love them. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, beginning in verse 10 is where we're going to be today. And then uh, we'll bring in some other verses from the chapter. Did you bring a Bible to church? Anybody got a paper Bible? We got some digital Bibles, paper Bibles. Doesn't really matter what format it is as long as we're reading it. That's the important thing. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says this, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Paul has a healthy self-image and knows that he is indeed a wise master builder. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Ouch. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We'll just end it there on a light note. <laughs> holy Father, thank you for um, your word. And we pray that your word would go forth today and it would build up this church into the image of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're a note taker in church, why don't you write down the title of the message, Let's call it the grace to grow up. The grace to grow up. And we've been using this series to uh, help, us as, help us as a church to keep the main thing, the main thing, which we have said multiple times over the last few weeks, um, is this, to be united in Christ, to edify one another, and to advance the gospel. Say, be united in Christ, edify one another, and advance the gospel. That's the theme of 1 Corinthians in, in, in one phrase, that you and I would participate 
in those three things. And the first two weeks of this series have really focused in on that first portion of being united uh, in Christ Jesus. And the need for this in churches, both in Paul's day and in our day, is absolutely massive. To be united, not just in anything, because you can be united in a lot of stuff. Groups get together and stay together for a lot of reasons. But the church is together in Christ Jesus. We are united in him. And a church united in Christ is a church that will see the wonderful works of God. But a divided house cannot even stand. And yet standing is precisely what the scriptures call for churches to do in order just to be effective. I love Paul's metaphor in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So Paul gives this image here of a soldier who is standing firm in the armor of God. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the image is not of a soldier, the image is of a building, God's temple. And what God's enemies want to do is grind the living stones of God's people to dust in order that they would be blown about in the wind. The enemies of God want to bring division in order that a church which is standing in strength would be made weak in the knees. And the means for achieving this is not that hard. Typically, all the enemy has to do is just to get humans acting like humans. He just has to get us to act according to our flesh instead of according to the Holy Spirit in us. And how many know that there is no shortage of doorways through which we can walk through to depart from the Spirit and make friends with the flesh? And often, the, all the devil has to do is just be a great door holder. He's like, I'll just hold this door wide open for you. You just walk right on through into that trap. And this is why Jesus and the apostles, they instruct us to what? To close the door on our offenses quickly. To forgive one another quickly. Because offense is probably the greatest opportunity you and I have to start acting according to the flesh instead of according to the Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger, on your offense, nor give place to the devil. So the devil loves to hold open the door of offense. And our responsibility is to close it quickly. And in doing this, we guard against disunity and we stand constantly united in Christ. That's how we do it in a responsive sense. How do we do it in a proactive sense? How do we get united proactively so we're not just all the time just making sure that our offenses are being handled? When a proactive sense to be united in Christ means that we have to be united in his word. The Bible is his word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We love the Bible in this church, and we love to interpret the Bible through the reality of Jesus and the New Testament. We feed on the scriptures, and when we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that becomes an overflow of the Holy Spirit in us. As we grow in our understanding of the scriptures, we deepen our position into the foundation, that is Jesus Christ, from whom we grow up into God's building, the image of his son. This growing up is another way of talking about edifying one another, which is where we're gonna turn our focus to today. So we've been talking a lot about being united in Christ. Now we need to talk about edifying one another because we're united in Christ for a purpose. And that purpose is that we would edify 
one another through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is what a mature church looks like. This is what mature believers look like. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. AKA, Paul is saying, be united in Christ, how? By going deeper into his words so that you can defend yourself against bad doctrine. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint, maybe your translation says ligament, that's you and I, we're the joints, we're the ligaments, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, we could say it like this, that the natural outcome of a church united in Christ is that each member of the church works for the benefit and the growth of the whole. A church that loves Jesus will be a people who love the church. That's why I don't understand people who say they love Jesus but can't stand the church. Because you can't love the groom and reject the bride. If you're gonna love the groom, you gotta love his bride. Now you can flatter me all you want and say you like me and say you love me, but if you say you don't like my wife, I don't like you. So a church that is united in Christ will be a church that edifies itself in love. And those go both ways, by the way. Sometimes it's the edification that leads to the unity. It's the selfless act of love and servanthood that creates the unity. It works both ways. So this is the invitation of God into a supernaturally empowered life. What we're talking about right now. That was like one of those sentences that kind of just gets said in church and it kind of just like goes over our head and we don't want really to think a whole lot about it. But I want you to think about what I just said that this is the invitation of God into a supernaturally empowered life. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want you building up his body out of your strength. He wants you doing it out of his strength. Jesus doesn't want you building his church using your talents. He wants you doing it using his giftings. This is his temple, and he wants to build it with the best resources. So like imagine you have finally arrived to that place in life where you can build your dream home. You've been saving your money, you've been investing in the stock market and you've been a Robin Hood investor and you ain't let the last week get, <laughs> had to. And now you are finally ready to build the home, right? Well, when you get to that place, how much of a role are you gonna play in overseeing the construction of that home? You're gonna have your hands in every part, the design process. You're not just gonna tell the architect to draw what he wants. No, like you're gonna be in on the process, right? Well, this is how I want it designed and these are the materials that I want used and you're gonna make sure that they're being implemented the right way. You're gonna bring correction when correction needs to be there. So you're gonna play a really big role. In the same way, this is why God wants us to edify one another using not our own resources, but the resources of the Holy Spirit whom he has sent. Yet how often do we set out and start building the church in the flesh? And we never check with God to see how have you gifted and graced and empowered me to be a builder of the body of Christ? If every joint and ligament supplies something, who supplies what those parts supply? Well, it is Christ, the head of the body, who gives us the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit, we edify the church. The question often is, is, are we mature enough to receive the resources? Are we mature enough to know what to do with the resources if he gave them to us? 
This is the Corinthian crisis. The Corinthians knew a great deal about what they had. They knew that they'd been forgiven in Christ Jesus. The Corinthian church was a really gifted church. I mean, they had the spiritual gifts flowing in their church. So they knew what they had. They just didn't know why they had it. But can I just tell you that knowing what you got, if you don't know what it's for, then you don't know what you got. You can know what you have from the Lord, but if you don't know why you have it, you don't know what you have. Like you could have all the wealth in the world, but if you don't know it so you can be generous, then you don't know what you got. You could have the best friendships in the world, but if you don't know it so that you can serve and love the people in your life, then you don't know what you got. It's important that we understand that God gives us stuff for a reason. God had graced the Corinthians for a reason. But they were, they were not stewarding the grace that God had given to them. All this status in Christ Jesus and yet no credence given to the unmistakable message to serve instead of seeking to be served. And the irony is that by reveling in how much they had, they were actually missing out on the greater things that God wanted to do in and through them. So he starts out like this in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. This is how Paul starts the, chap the, the chapter. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. So literally what Paul is saying here is that when you first believed in Jesus, Corinthians, I couldn't take you into the deeper applications of the gospel for your life. You were too young. So we had to hang out in the shallows, which is exactly what you would expect to happen, right? Like you hang out in the shallows when you're young. You don't just go putting babies in the deep end of the pool when they don't know how to swim, and there's no such thing as Holy Spirit floaties. So the word that Paul uses here in verse 1 when he says that you were carnal, when, when we first engaged with one another, you were carnal, is the Greek word sarkinos, which is translated as carnal, and that's not a rebuke. That's Paul simply describing the, the, the state of all new believers. But by the time Paul gets to verse 3 and says you are still carnal, it's a different Greek word. Now it's sarkikos, and now it is a rebuke. And it's the difference between being young and being immature. It's the difference between how when a baby acts like a baby and it's cute, but when a 20-year-old acts like a baby, it's off-putting. Like my two-year-old, she would be naked 80% of the time if we let her. I will just walk into the living room, I just find her just taking off her clothes. My six-year-old, loves to walk around the house in his underwear. Babysitter's coming over, doesn't care. Stays in the underwear. It's cute when little kids. But if a 35-year-old man... <laughs> goes walking around in the nude, it's no longer cute, now it's weird. We have some expecting parents in here, we have Existing parents, if you're a parent, give me a shout. Any parents in the house? Amen. Look, come on, yeah, let's honor the parents. They're incredible. We love you. <clears throat> parents have to go through potty training, which is why we clap for you. And I've been through potty training once. We have, we've, we've resisted the potty training of the two-year-old, right? We're just like dragging that on as long as... And when you go through potty training, you got to reward the kid, right? So like you give them like chocolate when they, they succeed in the program of potty training. 
And you know, when, you're, when your three-year-old comes and asks you for candy because they succeeded in the potty training program, it's cute. You're like, you wanna give. But if a 35-year-old man comes walking out of the bathroom and asks me for a Hershey kiss, touch your neighbor, say, age makes a difference. Touch your other neighbor, say, how old are you? Age makes a difference. And in verse 1, Paul was saying they were the product of their age. But in verse 3, he now describes them as the product of their choices. They have been willfully immature, and therefore they cannot receive the things of the Spirit that God has for them. And I wonder how accurate of a description this is for us at times. And I wonder if we are appropriately cut to the heart by this fact. Because sometimes I think that we are not. And the reason that we are not appropriately cut to the heart is because we do not realize the great things we reject. Because through our immaturity, we accept lesser things that satisfy and satiate us when they should not. This is how temptation works. So you accept the enticing, shiny thing, but in exchange you reject the holy, enduring thing. You see, temptation isn't a trick of the enemy to have you take more of what the world has. It's a trick of the enemy to get you to receive less of what God has. And perhaps God in his mercy does not disclose the details to us of what we miss in our immaturity. Paul speaks about it in broad strokes at the end of the chapter. We'll look at that verse in a moment. But he doesn't go into specific things about what the Corinthians are cutting themselves off from. Maybe God doesn't like to add insult to injury, but I say may the Holy Spirit injure us so that we don't go on insulting him with our choices that quench and grieve him. If he is the friend, as Proverbs 18.24 says, who sticks closer than a brother, and if, as Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, then let us say, wound us, Holy Spirit. Wound our hearts in a manner that causes us to lift our hands and surrender that we may receive what the Father wants to place in them, wound us so that we will cry mercy and learn to live by the gifts of God's grace. For there is so much that a mature church can receive from God, as Paul says at the end of the chapter in 21 and 22, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos, they've been arguing about which teacher they follow. He's like, the teacher doesn't belong, you don't belong to the teacher, the teacher belongs to you. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. Paul, what are we talking about here? I don't know. Just everything belongs to you. Or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. This is a good reason for us to pursue unity in Christ and edification, in one, edification of one another. For in this God supplies all things that we may need for the fullness of our joy in the journey of becoming more like Jesus together. Can I get an amen? So what we find is that when we're caught by God in our immaturity, we're not just offered a rebuke, we're offered an invitation. And that's what I want us to hear today. If you search the contents of your heart over the last few months or maybe over the last year or more, would you find the evidence of maturity or would you find the evidence of immaturity? Would you find evidence of being me-centered or would you find evidence of being others-focused? Because when we come to terms with where we are, that's when we can receive God's invitation to go where we ought to go. 
So Paul invites the Corinthians into this way of life in probably the most compelling way possible, which is to describe the beautiful gain of what it is to live God's way in contrast with the tragic loss of what it is to live the world's way. He says in verses 12 and 13, if anybody builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, the day, capital D day, the return of Christ, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And the point about that is that Jesus is going to judge the life that we live for him. And even though we ourselves will be saved by faith in him, anything that we've built in the way of the world will not make it into the kingdom of God. Now, the way of the world that had such a strong grip on the Corinthian Christians can be summed up really simple. They were self-centered. That's it. They were self-absorbed. They were self-asserting. And these traits were woven all throughout, not just how they treated one another specifically, but how they approached being the church in general. And this could be seen in like really obvious things like when they came together for the Lord's Supper and they would uh, have, have this, they called it uh, agape feast. They'd come together for this love feast and they would share in the Lord's Supper. And when the Corinthians got together for the Lord's Supper, Paul said it's actually worse when you get together than if you had all just stayed home. He literally said that. He said, it actually, you would be a better church if you just hung out on your couch rather than coming together for church. When you come together, it stinks. It's a mess. Because when they would come together, the more wealthy among them, who were of a higher earthly social status, they would help themselves and, and, and be self-preferential, and they would eat their fill and drink their fill, and they would often leave hardly anything, if anything at all, for those who were of lower earthly status. And Paul says, yeah, that, that's not the church right there. That's not how you should operate. It was very clear that they were self-absorbed. And we might say, well, like when we get together as a church, it's not like that. Like when we get together, we're in harmony and we're loving one another and we're hugging and we're smiling. And so we're not like that. But then we can't make the mistake of thinking that whether or not we are building with gold versus straw is always very obvious. Because sometimes it's not so obvious. And one of the less obvious ways that it was happening in Corinth was their approach to spiritual gifts. And they were obsessed with the gift of speaking in tongues. And that became another point of hierarchy and division for them. Whether or not you had the gift determined kind of where you sat in the totem pole of the church. And so Paul writes to them in chapter 40 and says, listen, I love that you pray in tongues. In fact, I probably pray in tongues more than all of you. That's what Paul says. I love that you do it. But I want you even more to desire the gift of prophecy. And then he explains why. Because when I pray in tongues, I edify myself, but when I prophesy, I edify the church as a whole. And I thought about that this week, and it was, it dawned on me that it's not a coincidence that a self-absorbed church would be prioritizing a self-edifying gift. So Paul is revealing to them the motive of their heart. It's not that he's saying, I don't want you to speak in tongues. In fact, he communicates the opposite. Sometimes whether or not we are living in God's way isn't always so obvious because it involves the motives of our hearts and not just our outward behavior. Sometimes it's not always so obvious who's building with gold and who's building with straw. And so the point is not that we would judge one another's work. The point is that we would always ask God to reveal to us how we ourselves are building. And again, it comes back to the point of myself centered or my others focus. And that doesn't mean that your life needs to be characterized by constant exhaustion because you can't help but meet the demands of every single person who asks you of something. 
but it does mean that our general approach to church, to being the church, is gonna be a whole lot less of what can others do for me and a whole lot more of what can I do for others. And I wanna remind you today that that is the door that God is holding open for you. The door that the devil holds open is the door of offense, but the door that God holds open is the door of opportunity. And it's the opportunity to live the most fulfilling, supernaturally empowered, most exciting kind of life because it's a life that is mature, where we're positioned to receive what God wants to give to us by the Holy Spirit. Remember, all things are yours, living God's way is not a fruitless dead-end endeavor. Living God's way is a fruitful, ongoing experience that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in. It's the most wonderful, most generous, most overflowing, most powerful kind of life that we can live. God has more for us. That's what Paul's saying to Corinth. If y'all just be willing to grow up, you'd experience so much more of God's intention for you. So if we find ourselves, you know, relatively convinced by this, and we have to ask ourselves the question, how is it done? What is God's way for us to step into God's way? What's the opportunity? How do we go from immaturity to maturity? And the answer is in verse 10 where Paul says that he built how? According to the grace of God which was given to me. I built according to the grace of God which was given to me. And this is absolutely paramount. I would say that this is the most important aspect to you and I edifying each other and also the most overlooked and forgotten. And the reason that we overlook this aspect is because of a little thing called comparison. How many times have you felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want you to build my church in a more significant way? And you go, great, Holy Spirit. So you get out your spiritual binoculars. And you're looking around the church like, oh, I like the way they do it. And then you think, I'm going to do it exactly like they do it. But that's to transition from one kind of immaturity into another kind of immaturity. Because the way that they do it is God's grace for them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's grace for you. Or inversely, how often are we up on our high horse and we look at other people and go, you know, they're really not edifying the church as significantly as me. You know, I got that gift of mercy. I'm just down here just serving the people, just feeding them the meals. That guy over there, he thinks he's all cool on his camera. He ain't doing nothing. What's the grace that God has given to you? And do you silently stew on the fact that somebody is edifying the church? IBK said, I know, right? <laughs> we love you, IBK. But because of IBK, I'm talking to like 300 additional more people right now. So what's the grace that God has given to you? And do we lose sight of the fact that God has given a different grace to them and that both are important? Comparison works both ways. It goes up, it goes down, and both lead nowhere good. Building according to the grace of God given to each of us is the difference between building with gold and building with straw. And one person's straw can be another person's gold. And one person's gold can be another person's straw. Because when I'm, in the, when I'm in God's grace for me, I'll have the right motive for serving you. And this is where the grace we need to grow up into the maturity of Christ is. It's the grace that comes from God's hands to your heart to then your hands. And it's got to go from your heart to your hands for the edifying of the body.
So let's get a little bit more practical, and I'm going to wrap it up soon, and then we'll keep worshiping and pray for some people, and God's going to move. You believe it? God's grace in this context is another term for God's gifting for you. It's how he's equipped you to edify. And discovering these giftings is really, really important. Can I just tell you something? It goes beyond what you are good at in the natural sense, like design or music or camera operation or cooking or whatever. It goes beyond what you're good at in the natural sense, and it actually reaches into the realm of what lights your heart on fire for the benefit of the kingdom. And our natural giftings can play a role in this, but deeper than what I'm good at naturally has to be this Holy Spirit foundation, this bedrock motivation for why I want to do it. So it's not just holding the camera, it's holding the camera because I have a heart to reach lost people on the other side of the screen. So there's an evangelistic gift there in me that really wants to see people come to Christ. Now at C3LA, we're in the process right now of redeveloping how we discover our gifts with one another. And we're excited about that, but you know how you can get started in a really powerful way in the meantime? Read the New Testament. Read the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. Read the ministry of the Apostles in Acts. Read the letters that they wrote to the churches and see what lights your heart on fire for the kingdom of God. When you see somebody get healed, does it grip you? When you read of an entire village coming to know Christ, does it capture your imagination? When you see somebody distributing food to the poor, can you not shake it? When you read of somebody prophesying, does it fill you with wonder? When you come across passages where they are passionately guarding the importance of pure doctrine, does it consume you? It is no accident that we all answer differently to these questions. What makes the word living is that it has an answer for each of us to those questions according to the grace of God that has been given to us. We're not supposed to have the same answers, but we are supposed to have the same obedience. And obedience with God is not a spectrum. It's either gold, silver, precious stones, that which is valuable, or it's wood, hay, and straw, that which is worthless. There's nothing in between. You're building with what's eternal or you're building with what's temporal. And the way to do it is to seek out the grace of God that is on your life to be a builder and an edifier of the church. You know that famous story in Acts chapter 6 where the apostles are brought the problem of the Greek widows being neglected in the daily distribution because racism was a thing back then as well. And they're like, hey, we're not getting fed the food whenever all the other Jewish widows are being fed the food. And so they bring the problem to the apostles and Paul's like, yeah, that sounds like an issue. Um, you go solve it. You go appoint leaders and you go find people to oversee. Go find seven men of good reputation who can oversee that. Now, I just have a little confession. If I was in that first century Jerusalem church and the apostle just said, yeah, go find seven people to go and solve that problem, I'd be sitting there and that like, please don't pick me. And that doesn't make me bad. That makes me me. And some of you say, yeah, that's the problem that I want to tackle. The distribution of that food, that's the thing that really lights my heart on fire for the kingdom of God. And that's what makes you you. And that's God's grace upon your life. You and I are the temple of God. And he allows us to live in that temple. Nobody builds their own home with worthless material. You don't neglect your own home and let it rot. How you build reflects how you feel. And how you feel reflects the depth of revelation you have about what God is doing through his church and how he's graced you to edify it. Band can come, I'll wrap it up. 
There's a lot of sentiment right now uh, in the church across the Western world because the church has been irregularly gathering, you know, or sometimes not at all for the last 11 months. And people are coming to this conclusion that the church is not that important. And that's not a surprise to me in the Western world because we've often treated church like an add-on to life. And hear me right, no local church is perfect, and some local churches give their people very good reasons for leaving. But is it possible that many people making this choice could have been building with wood, hay, and straw all this time? How else could some of us so easily walk away from the house of God without legitimate reasons? If we'd been building with gold, silver, and precious stones, we wouldn't walk away nearly as quickly because those losses are a little too great to cut so soon. I only mean to ask that if COVID is all it took to undermine the importance of what we were contributing to God's church as God's people, it could not have been that we placed that much value on what we were contributing. The result of which is that some of us have departed, but many of us have remained. So the question we have to ask ourselves now is this. If how we were building before couldn't endure the last 11 months, how do you think it will endure in the final fires of judgment? If a virus took it out, what an opportunity we now have to look with fresh eyes at the grace of God given to us and to take whatever grace gift we have and to do it unto the glory of the Lord by edifying his church. One of the things I'm struck by in the scriptures is that God does not require of you what you do not have, but he does require the first and the best of what you have. The materials that Moses used to build the tabernacle were not the same as the materials that Solomon used to build the temple, but God honored them both with his presence because they both built with the best of what they had. You and I have to ask the question, what's the best of what I have? Can I tell you it's not anything you can muster up on your own. It's what's given to you by the grace of God. Here's the kicker. God's grace is the best of what you have. So if you discover the God's grace on your life and you do that unto the glory of the Lord, you'll be bringing gold, silver, precious stones all day long, building that which is eternal and not temporal. This is God's invitation, Corinth. This is God's invitation to C3LA. He wants us to discover what is available to us to be mature in the spirit that we may receive every spiritual blessing. It's already yours. That's the trick of temptation is that you and I would reject what's already been purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we step into grace, we grow up into what this thing called the church is supposed to be. And what it is supposed to be is a witness to the region of the South Bay. What it's supposed to be is a witness to Highland Park and the surrounding neighborhoods. What it can be is a house where people encounter the God who has their grace, the God who has their miracle, the God who has their purpose and their healing and their wisdom. This is the house of God, the gate of heaven where people can step in and receive the grace that God has for them. Here's what it looks like in practice because we got to ground it in reality. It looks like this. It looks like seeking out relationship without concern for reciprocity. 
That's what it looks like in our lives. We have to be willing to give to one another what cannot be repaid. To serve one another in ways where the person that you're serving may not be able to serve you in the same way in return. And when we give up the right to be reciprocated by other people in a way that is equal to what we gave, what we find is that we step into the abundance of God that is in greater measure to what you gave. In other words, it's not really such a thing as life without reciprocity, but as Christians, we know that everything we have comes from the God who owes us nothing and not from other people who might owe us something. This is why Jesus said, host the people for dinner who can't host you in return. Disciple the people who don't have the wisdom for you in return. Cover that person's expense who can't give you a dollar in return. Use your faith to pray for the person's miracle when they don't have faith to pray for your miracle in return. This is relationship without reciprocity. This is the glory of God in the church. This is the moving of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of God to see change broken, mindset shifted, life transformed. Everybody can stand. And in these things, we will just be getting started. As we unite in Christ and edify one another and advance the gospel, every hand lifted. The glory of God is in this house. Thank you, Jesus. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.